0: Hey, y'all, and welcome back to Love and Grit. I'm Laia.
1: And I'm Justin.
0: Here to share with you more of the dopeness of Philly. And today, you'll be happy to hear it's all about food and love. Chad and Hannah Williams found love in a Philadelphia kitchen and are sharing the products of their love via your favorite Rittenhouse Square spot Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Jamila Robinson has combined her love for food and skill as a journalist to form one of the most powerful positions in the food business. And of course, she's making history.
1: But first... Are we doing a round of Philly faves? You know what it is, Justin. It's Black Business Month Uh in Philadelphia. What are your favorite Black businesses? All of them. So I know, I know yeah. all of them. <laughs> I mean, I talked about your hoop earrings in the last one. Okay, that's, that's one of them, Justin. All Black, everything pop up. One of my
0: favorite new Black businesses.
1: So one of mine is Honeysuckle Provisions, which Ooh. is Omar and Sybil Tate's grocery slash restaurant slash sandwich store slash Black Culture Haven just at 48th Street. So Yes. They're special people, it's special food, and then my other one's also in West Philly, which is Black Ivy on Penn's campus.
0: Oh, she's family too, love and grit. People have
1: got to get up there and check that place out. Yeah. It's up on 40th Street. Get into West Philly,
0: yeah. Shout out to the Bynum brothers, yeah, who, the- along with them and their father. They've been having businesses in this city for what over 50 60 years at this point, I'm guessing. So their restaurant up south, they're, they're historic, of course. We know them from Zanzibar. And it's Arby, a beautiful
1: restaurant. It's a great brunch yes, place.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Oh, and just in case you always, Legendary Hair Place. Shout out to Sarita Scott, another member of our Love and Grit Collective. Her hair salon, Duape has been a part of Philadelphia. Too. Oh yeah, and I'm yeah. gonna
1: finish with the Philadelphia Diamond Company. Oh our yeah, friends love there. them. It's great to see that they're really getting their name out there more, and they're just great people. It's a cool place.
0: I love it. We got a lot of dope couples doing some dope things in Philadelphia, speaking of dope couples. Yeah. There's nothing like feeling a chef's love for the kitchen. However, when Chad and Hannah Williams found love in Philly's Amada Kitchen, I don't think they thought a food empire was brewing. Hannah introduced the thought to Chad to buy the Rittenhouse Square staple Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 10 years ago. Two years into the buy and right before the opening, Chad and Hannah would make their commitment to each other and the restaurant official by marrying in its kitchen. Now, thanks to Hannah's vision of a beautifully welcoming aesthetic along with Chad's decadent menu, giving you fine dining, married with Caribbean flavors, they are one of the hottest spots in town and we hear they have more spots coming. So Chad,
1: how's it feel to have the best restaurant in the country?
2: Uh, Having the best restaurant in the country feels surreal i guess i've been at this about 20 years and you always hope for this but kind of halfway through the dreams go out the window and then you just i mean we just had had a
1: pandemic
2: yeah you just you closed after a while you just work it you're trying to stay afloat and keep the business going not that the dreams go away completely but they carry a little less weight but When we try to like
1: incorporate those dreams into real life,
2: exactly into real life. But when we won it, boy, it was it was the feeling of feelings.
0: Okay, so just for the record, Justin is not a civilian. He's as much as in this food game as you are. Uh But Uh I need you to walk me through this chat. So you are the winner. When he says best restaurant in the country, of course we're talking about James Beard. We're talking about what category? What are we talking about? No, no, that's that's
2: it. James Beard. That's it. Our like Super Bowl, Oscars, Grammys, whatever you want to call it for the restaurant industry. That's what we have, and then you
1: got the top prize. We got the
2: we got the best picture, album of the year. Friday,
1: Saturday, Sunday. So Laia well, admittedly has not been to Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Oh, you got to come back. We we're just talking about. Before. No,
0: not the new one. I was like, I probably went to the old one like back in the yeah, day. And, and you know
1: what? Friday, Saturday, Sunday, very much a neighborhood restaurant in mm-hmm. Rittenhouse. Corner,
2: your little townhouse. Corner, it's a, a
1: brownstone. Yep. And not very big. A beautiful no. bar on the second floor was the thing that really yeah. why people knew Friday, Saturday, oh, Sunday. Tank bar.
2: Yeah, that's gone. That went with the tank. Tell people what it was. Old Friday, Saturday, Sunday had a tank bar. The tank bar was literally a five-foot fish tank that sat behind a bar. And for about 20 years, that was the go-to late night for downtown Philadelphia. It's like kind Mm -hmm. of unimaginable that, that that's what it was. It was like Ashton Cigar Bar Rouge... Delilah's rolled into one thing. Mm-hmm. OK, <laughs> so the I got you.
1: But tiny, a,
2: tiny, tiny, tiny thing. But it was a vibe. Everybody's been there. All the, oh. the old folks come in want to tell me their stories from the 80s and 90s about what everybody. There for. has a story at the bar about the <laughs> tank bar. A wild story. They're always wild. They're never normal.
1: It's so interesting because I remember talking about the tank with somebody and it was like, the, you know, it was the first thing obviously people mm. noticed. Right. And like we're a little bit speculative of because you're like, that was kind of what made this place special, unique yeah. or special. Yeah. So you guys redid it in a beautiful way. I mean, it's honestly my favorite bar to sit and it's like always a great drink. But you decided to do a tasting menu, focus on the food keep right. the name, keep the name. And you basically operated like a neighborhood restaurant since you reopened. That's always been very popular.
2: Right. So we did. I mean, when we initially opened, it was an a la carte menu, normal stuff, roast chicken, gnocchi, oysters on the menu. And then we just evolved from there. We took steps every year or so to kind of grow and get a little more refined. After COVID, we decided to make the switch. we were like, OK, nobody's busy. People don't come out we can only fit eight people in a dining room at once because of the restrictions. Let's just do a tasting menu, And then we never, we just never turned back from it. We kept it going.
0: I'm guessing that this is a departure from the original menu, number one, because what I do know about you, Chad, is like originally you didn't go into such a chef. First of all, you're West Philly born and raised?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. Okay,
0: West Philly born and raised, but then a little bit of bread at Howard University for a few
2: few years. that's That's why I started cooking. So I went to Howard for anthropology, Loved it. Yeah, literally. The best story is that when I decided I was going to quit school and keep cooking and making my career, my mom called weekly to get me fired. She would call out, wait, talk to the chef and tell him to fire me. Like, what are you doing (laughs) in his life? My son's going to be an anthropologist. It It probably took about 10 years, 15 years for her to be okay with it. But now, of course, it's amazing. It's what I was meant to do.
0: And now you join some of Howard's most illustrious dropouts, like Diddy. Exactly, and yeah, every and time Bruce
2: I Yes, yeah, exactly. You go to Howard, you drop out, you're doing something right. However, <laughs> shout out to
0: the graduates that finished too, because I went <laughs> yeah, to high school across you know, the street at okay. one of the finest institutions
2: in this uh-huh. country. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so the Caribbean part of the menu in your mm-hmm. background is not have anything to do with your background. It has to do with D.C.?
2: Yeah, it had to do with D.C. So the first place I worked at was a Caribbean restaurant. It was like okay. Rocky's Soul Food Cafe, like a little small 20-seater. And they gave me a shot, like I was waiting tables and I looked in the kitchen. I was like, there's something that drew me too. And I didn't know what at the time. And I just gave it a shot and that was it. I never looked back. How often do you change your fixed menu now? So now it's, it's seasonally and, and we kind of deal with the seasons as they come. So when tomatoes come in season, we change. When the peas come in the season, we change. You know, and if we have a new concept totally for a dish, you know, that'll change it too. It's more kind of a dish by dish situation.
0: Was there something behind the obvious, behind the fact that you came home and opened your restaurant home? I mean, I know you also came home to work because you, mm-hmm. you worked at some of the, the more famous restaurants like Amada where you met your wife and, of course, mm-hmm. Alma de Cuba. But why Philly? Why stay? Why? Philly, why? Really?
2: It, was, it was never an option to not come back home. In my head, like, I never considered, no matter where I went or how long I was there, it was always...
1: You were going to do it here.
2: Yeah, I need to come back and... And do it here. You know, I, I had there was an affection for the Philadelphia restaurant scene. You know, once I started cooking, i every time I'd come visit, I'd eat at the restaurants in town and I just felt like this is my city. You know, there wasn't a thing like I want to leave and I gotta get out of here. I was like, no, this is my city, and I want it to be as great as it can be.
1: So you did the fixed menu after the pandemic because you only have so much room. So you can usually only have what, sixteen people up there? No, now it's about in the thirties. Yeah, mid thirties. Yeah. But at and, the time, it was eight, right? Over, yeah. I'm wondering if the other reason it worked too is because people were desperate for some sense of luxury after we all had the same experience inside. Yeah, you it know, that wanted- wasn't something you see on Instagram. Yeah, um,
2: you wanted to, you wanted to treat yourself. You know, you wanted to come out and have a real experience, and it was taken away from us for so long. So to have it back was a big deal.
1: So do you think, in a way, that that? propelled you to where you are now. Like when you look back and you're like, I had 100%. to close our restaurant for the pandemic, but now we're the best restaurant in the country. It's amazing how that works out.
2: Yeah, during COVID, we made the choice to go to a tasting menu, which was a huge risk. You know, but you, you closed, closed first, right? We like you had to close down times. first. Yeah, we closed multiple times. And then when we reopened to make that change was kind of an all or nothing moment because it's kind of hard to go back and say, hey guys, oops, we made a mistake. Here's our normal menu again. Come visit. So it was not an easy choice. It was not, but it easy.
1: gave you a chance
2: to take a risk. It did. It gave us a little impetus to go and say, "Hey, let's give it a whirl." We're, you know, everything's going wrong anyway. <laughs> you no, know, can't go much worse. So, let's see what happens.
0: For me, I'm the opposite of you, right? Like I'm a DC person who fell in mm. love with Philadelphia and recognized Philadelphia as like one of the food meccas of really the world to me, mm-hmm. Just in, and I've traveled the world. But I'm curious if you've grown to appreciate Philadelphia in its way, because I always thought like, while DC has beautiful venues, you know, and fanciness, mm. the food will never taste as good as Philadelphia on its worst day. I'm curious if you kind of like now that you're yeah, it it in. Was
2: it was more Philadelphia getting the recognition, like getting the props it deserves, more so than that. I've watched DC kind of explode from here and they get the recognition. And it's just, you know, it felt like at the awards it was like, okay, this is our time. Shine the light oh, on us. It? It's like the old Andre thing, like the South got something to say. You know, it's like we got something to say. Like we're here, and this is this is what we do. So wait,
0: who was with you? Who was with you that made you feel that way when you
2: looked at the room? We had everybody. there. it was Kalio. They won that night. Ellen. They won. Knock. Um, yeah, Jesse Ito and uh, Amanda Showman were nominated. Like it was a pretty big crew of folks who were representing the best of the city, and they're all incredible Mm -hmm. talents.
0: And was, I hear you also have a, a nice little collective of folks like Omar Tate and Sybil and other folks that you can... I mean, peers who are doing things together like you and Hannah.
2: Exactly. Oh, my God. Yeah, there's about three or four couples <laughs> like Dustin who chosen this wacky way of moving through the world and living life. It is special. You know, people will sometimes forget that we work together and, and are married till they go, oh, I could never work with my husband. I could never work by I kill him. And we're just looking at him like...
1: Yeah. Yeah. Not that bad. I mean, you know? That's an interesting point, like how we're having these... Couples pop up in Philadelphia. Right. I'm even thinking about like Nick Elmy talks about how much his wife really designs all the restaurants, does all the flat. Right. It's a family business, no matter right. what. Family.
2: Everybody gets
1: a- sort of gets dragged
2: in. Exactly. Because exactly. you take it, it home feels, with you.
1: And
0: it feels very Philly to me. Like when I see y'all and I think y'all, I think of Asian and from Kindred to Family Soul, who have been doing this for like
2: thirty years,
0: right? Exactly, like, exactly. With six kids, like exactly. come
2: on, yeah. you feel the love, you know, you feel it. Yeah, that's a lot of what made the restaurant special was us bringing the love we have for each other and our and our relationship into the restaurant. It is important, and it's hard. You can't ignore it when you know us, and then you know the restaurant. I think it kind of clicks for people. I like, get yeah, it does make sense.
1: Talk to me about the pride you feel as a Philly kid who was able to bring this award home to Philly. It's the biggest deal in a time when the city's struggling to keep recovering from the pandemic.
2: I mean, it's still kind of surreal for me feeling the support from the the city in general, walking down the street and people cheering you on, you know, like the first night when I was back in town doing my normal Kelly Drive, like morning bike ride. And people were like yelling at me on the bike. Hey, good job. Hey, you did it. Yeah. So it's people I thought would never care. You know, I've never met these people before in my life. I'll know them from Adam, and they're they're stopping. But they they're, they're, they're you know, taking like, pride they're in yeah, it, they're taking pride. The city took so much pride in what we did. It's it's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. I never thought it would be like that at all.
0: But we also hear there's uh, some newness brewing.
2: We're trying to figure it out. We had some ideas brewing in the past, you know, and now seems like the best of times to do mm-hmm. it. So Where we're trying to figure it out few irons in the fire that we have to make sure they the right ones.
1: But that's what paid off for you with Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Right. And you made it so special. It's good hospitality, great food, great drinks. You feel like you're being taken care of there. You don't feel that that much anymore in that's the restaurant the- scene Right. In Philadelphia,
2: I will say. Well, that's a big thing. Like most people have a successful restaurant after three or four years, open another one. Right. Like we, we didn't. We always felt like there was more to be done at Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It was more space to grow and become something that we're proud to show to the world. Being recognized for it, you're like, OK, thank thank God I was doing the right thing. Because you never know. You know, there's no, no For how many successes there are, there are oh, tenfold failures. Tenfold failures, right. And
1: it's great because the city needs this. We need right. wins. We need reasons for people <laughs> exactly. to come travel. Exactly. And food is what it's always been about in Philadelphia.
2: Yeah, we, the, the circle? joke was like, we missed it with the Eagles. We've mixed it with the Phillies and Sixers. Yeah. So it's like, Philly finally got one. We finally got one this yeah, year. Yeah, we should have a parade down Broad Street for you, you know No, yeah, please. So what's your mother's circle back? Oh. What did she
0: say now? No, decades now later.
2: Now it's what I was meant to do since a child. And I didn't. You know, I didn't cook when I was a kid. I she raised you it. this way. Oh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So he yeah. about yeah, with me. About it. The friends come in. You know, we have the, the eight top of all the aunties up there enjoying themselves. Yes. it really warms my heart. May not be their type of food, but it's it's fine. They tell me it's great anyway. They tell me they love it.
0: Periodically, you got to walk by the table and just drop it. Anthropology.
2: Anthropology, right? Yeah. Exactly. I got to go back. I'm going back. I'm going to do it. Are you going to
0: get an honorary?
2: Yeah, I need my honorary. That's what I need right now. Yes, that's exactly what we're starting our campaign for that. Please do. Please do.
1: Congratulations. We're so proud of you. Yeah, thank you so much. You guys have always been like a little engine that could kept there, kept centered, kept focused, kept making things better, kept bringing the same people back. This has been building for a couple years where it's yeah, been-
2: very, very organically. That was a big thing for us is just treat all the customers with the same love. We would treat the press and everybody else and it eventually pays off. You know, we always said it would pay off, but weren't quite sure, but now we, now we got some proof we can say it loud and proud. Like it does pay off to stick to your guns and really just be about the service and the food and the drink.
3: I am Jill Scott. My name is Nikisha Bailey. Check me out on Love and Grit podcast because I am Philly.
0: In the spirit of, yes, we are still celebrating first, it's her super sister, Jamila Robinson, kicking all the food doors down as the first black female judge on the world's 50 best restaurants panel. And that's got it. She, is the journalism chair of the James Beard Awards, helping to organize the highest honors in food, which is why she is considered one of the most influential people in flu media. How does she do it? Why does she do it? And how do we get access to all of her favorite spots lists? Yeah, we got a lot of questions. Let's welcome Jamila Robinson to Loving
3: light Yeah, Justin, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It is so important to me to talk about Philly as much as I can. So it is a true joy. To be with you.
1: When did you start at the Inquirer editing the food section? Was it during the pandemic or right before?
3: Three weeks before the pandemic. I was so excited and thinking about all the things that we were going to be able to do because Philadelphia has always been one of my favorite food towns. And I was so excited to come here. We started thinking about all of these recipes that we were going to be doing, and we're going to be going all around the city, and we're going to be talking to people. We're going to do all these dinners. It's going to be great. And then March 13th happened. Mm -hmm. And suddenly we went from wanting to talk about why Philadelphia is a world-class food city to trying to make sure that the food system was going to survive the pandemic. And so that was a real shift You know, in most newsrooms, if you've watched The Bear and there's that episode seven of the Mm -hmm. first season, for us, it was like a breaking news. That's a breaking news day. And the world turns on its ear in just a hot second. And so we had to really rethink how we were going to do our jobs, how we were going to review restaurants that were open, how we, we were going to tell people about how to get food if they were food insecure, or how restaurants were going to be open, what was going to happen to the supply chain. And so we were diving in right at that moment. But I think what became really interesting about that time is that we really didn't deviate from what we really wanted to do as food media. We wanted to show why Philly's a world-class food city, be part of the community and show all the people and places that make up the importance of Philadelphia. So we were able to do that. It was just in a different context than we were expecting. And now when I look back on that that time with a lot of, you know, I'm very grateful We learned a lot and some things that we really wanted to change. The pandemic really accelerated those opportunities to really make some significant change and shift the things that don't make sense anymore, but in the age of social media or in 2020 at that time. So we were able to change them.
1: But it's so good to be at this point because we were all in the thick of it together. We were doing the same thing. We made this a weekly podcast. We were bringing restaurateurs on just to like tell their stories. All of us lived this together. To be to this point now, grateful is the right word that we have been able to spring back. And it does show what community can do when people work together because, like, it could have turned out differently. Not all cities have rebounded the way we have economically, especially culinary-wise?
3: 100%. I mean, when you think about all the restaurants in, say, New York that closed and would never be able to open again, and that became part of a lot of the writing about this restaurant is closed, it may not open. And I think we were able to re-examine. Rebound, I think, is a really good word. But we also re-examined what we were doing. And we were able to respond to the pandemic in the spirit of community. And it really kind of shows that's really the essence of Philadelphia. And when you think about people here, that coming together, that spirit, I don't know if other cities had that kind of community And we're able to spring back in such a way, or I like to say spring forward, because I think that's really what happened. It's a new
1: way. Like you said it, like it was a chance to like deviate things that advanced us that have maybe been held back before because so much changes and change isn't easy. So
3: one of the things that we did at the Philadelphia Inquirer, which was something that I had been thinking about for years but during the pandemic, when restaurants started to come back, we decided we aren't going to give bell ratings for reviews once we started. Which was a big deal.
1: You managed two of three of the long running writers in the city. Craig LeBan was famous for the bells. I mean, that's famous how people traded. How many bells does the restaurant have? That must have been a big
3: decision. It was. But here's the thing that happened with the pandemic. Are we gonna give ratings to restaurants that are either closed or just coming back may, not, may only be open for 50% capacity? Is it fair to give a rating? But when you really dive a little bit deeper into that, think about our relationships with ratings. Will you get in an Uber and you give a rating, Amazon, you give a rating. Three stars, what does that mean? Five stars, is that good or bad? What does it mean? If we give Friday, Saturday, Sunday, four bells, But Pete Wells at the New York Times gives it three stars. Who's right?
0: Well, here's my question too. What about Yelp? And Google as well, because when does it matter what people who just go to eat care about?
3: Exactly, we are giving. <laughs> we are talking about expertise. We're putting a lot of resources into yeah. um, understanding what is happening into the restaurant. So we decided maybe ratings were not the best way to convey that yeah. information. And as journalists, it was really important for us to use words. So we would say this restaurant is world class. Friday, Saturday, Sunday is the most complete restaurant experience in Philadelphia. So let me ask this, because y'all are talking as
0: non-laymen, y'all are in this world, right? But as a person who just goes to eat and wants to know where the good places are, where the fancy people think you should go, I'm curious how you should use the Philadelphia Inquirer and the Food Editor's Review versus your Yelp, your Google, and all these other things. Like, it's interesting now that we don't just have food professionals' opinions in this world. Now we actually have everybody's opinions in this world. So That's beautiful, right,
3: Laia? Don't you think that that all of these different perspectives are valid? It it used Mm -hmm. to be, oh, it was just the food critic who told you where to go, where to eat, what to have. And we don't all agree. But it's important to the way I think consumers can use that information and use the kinds of stories that we do at the Inquirer is we invite you to the table with us and walk you through the experience and give you a chance to see why that restaurant matters. And that's something you can't get from Yelp. Yelp is not right. going to tell you why Kalaya is so special because there are dishes that Noxeterna is cooking that you can't find in other parts of America. So that restaurant mm. matters. If we take you on, on along Baltimore Avenue on the Jollof Rice Trail, we are telling you why these restaurants matter. Wait a minute, and Baltimore Avenue has a Jollof Rice Trail. They're what? all, <laughs> yes, on the, on the West Philly side. You can go to inquire.com slash food and look at our stories about the Jollof rice trail and all the different kinds of Jollof you can find. And that is something that Yelp wow. cannot do.
1: I don't know what it is. So can you tell me?
3: <laughs> so it's essentially a lot of West African restaurants, be they Nigerian or Ghanaian or from Cote d'Ivoire, all of these cultures from West Africa have a different kind of jollof, and your Liberian jollof is going to be spicier than your Ghanaian jollof, which is going to be like a little bit more tomato-based. Some have peanuts ground into them. They're all a little different, and you are going to learn so much of that culture going to these different kinds of restaurants. Y'all can't do that. <laughs> yeah, Yo, Jamila, um,
0: you, and it's, it's dope because I just want to say in this moment that I feel like we would have had another kind of person with another kind of background. I wouldn't have known that. So again, it's important for us to be in these spaces because I don't know if anybody else would have told me about the job of rights beyond Jamila.
3: Well, thank you for saying that. I think it is imperative. My first James Beard Awards many years ago, I walked in the room and I was so confused because I was one of the few Black people in the room. Maybe it was me and Tony Tipton Martin and Adrian Miller, who you'll know from the Soul Food Scholar and the books like Black Smoke. And there were maybe three other Black people there, almost no Asians or Asian-Americans. I don't know if there are any Latinos there at that time. And I was so confused because I was like, these are the arbiters of taste. And there were no people of color. Or so we cute. are the spice. And I was like, as much as we like to eat, right? <laughs> I don't understand. Right. And I really think that when you have people of diverse backgrounds, you can understand food better because food is cultural currency. And it's not enough to say, oh, if I have a Black editor, I'm going to have different kinds of Black stories. You're going to have viewpoints from the diaspora. We're going to be looking at how people receive information. We're going to be looking at things like, why are we italicizing Spanish words? There was a long history of italicizing foreign words or non-English words, as I like to say them. But they're just words, and American English is made up of all kinds of words. So why are mm-hmm. we emphasizing them? So when you have people of diverse backgrounds, especially in food, but in any, any media context, we're going to be able to give you some other ways that other people might be receiving information, and mm. that helps broaden perspectives. And introduces humanity in ways that I think, in a lot of cases, we had been divorced from. And so, again, it's not only just having diverse perspectives, but it's coming to the table with you. I love asking people how their families cook rice. When you ask somebody how their family cooks rice and they say, oh, we cook it with beans and garlic or whatever. And I say, well, my mom cooked rice-a-roni because she worked. It tells you so much about how people live, where they live, where they grew up. Now, I grew up around a lot of Middle Easterners. I make a tad because I like rice like that. It tells you about my background and who I grew up with and what I know now and how I like to cook now. Rice
0: is so diverse too. When you talk talk about rice, it covers all cultures. Every
3: single culture has a way that they cook rice. And so when we ask these universal questions, especially in a city like Philadelphia, we start to broaden our understanding of humanity and we start to bring community. And that is, it's not just the food, the food is just a cultural currency into all of these other perspectives.
0: Did you always know how dope Philly was food wise? Because you're not from Philadelphia, correct? I'm not from Philadelphia. I'm from Detroit. So I always tease Justin. I'm like <laughs> the outsiders of Philadelphia. We appreciate this town in a little differently. But can you tell me about the first time you discovered and how you discovered that Philadelphia was a town?
3: Well, actually, I was living in Atlanta. And I have a lot of friends who live in Washington because I had lived there for a long time. But we like to get the train and go to Philly. And the first time that I really got to eat in Philly, that was like beyond going to Red Internal Market, like no. you know, coming to National Association of Black Journalists and whatnot. But my first like real grown up restaurant experience in Philadelphia was at Ellen Yin's Fork. Really? And, you know, but it it's like when you start to have enough money <laughs> that you can like really go right. out to eat. The Budokan
0: moment most of us have. Yeah.
3: <laughs> we, go, we went to Fork and mm-hmm. I was... Blown away, I remember thinking I always want to be able to eat like this. Mm. Like, I don't give, I'm more of a hokey person, a cheesesteak person. I love a sandwich, but I love a beautiful meal and I'll never forget. It was like a, a, a haddock and some sort of broth or something, but I still remember like such a beautiful piece of fish and I never forgot it. <laughs> and even going back when I was coming to interview, I got to go to fork again. And that was probably like the third or fourth time. And it's always pristine. And that was one of my first experience at, in Philadelphia, eating in Philadelphia was probably in 1997 at the National Association of Black Journalists Conference. And I remember going to Reading Terminal Market and thinking... Oh, it's like Eastern Market in Detroit. Okay, you guys are all right. <laughs> yeah, Writing Terminal still, I think, should be considered the eighth
0: wonder of the world. It's one of my favorite places. I it's oh.
3: one of my favorite places on, on the planet. I was an intern at the Detroit Free Press, and one of my jobs was to write about music. And I was one of the first people to review Boys to Men. Yeah, no, that no. first album, Motown Philly. What? Uh, and Gary Graff was the music writer at the time. Like, gave me a bunch of CDs. Remember CDs, everybody? He yeah. uh, gave me a bunch of CDs and said, "Here, take a listen." And it's like Motown Philly. And I remember hearing that, and I thought, "Oh, they're going to be stars." And I wrote like one of the first reviews of, of Motown Philly. But I was so intrigued and I was so happy to come to Philadelphia.
1: I just want to go back to Ellen Yen and Fork. It's a full circle moment that she won Best Restaurant Tour. We were just talking to Chad, who's on the same episode. But I mean, what a great time for Philly to get Mm -hmm. its roses. With the people it's getting it with, especially the, the, the people you're describing. I mean, honestly, it was white men who won from Philadelphia before. It was just not this diverse. Once it got this diverse, we scooped them up
3: isn't that really interesting because it gets harder when you add more diversity the competition actually gets harder because now <laughs> you got to go up against turnoff and listen that's some of the best food you're going to get on the planet we have been trying to tell anybody who'll listen philadelphia is a world-class food city there are dishes here you just cannot get any place else there's a, a level of accessibility here in restaurants. I'm sorry, like
0: Jamila, when you say that sentence, you just dropped it like it was nothing. Oh. I'm just so curious. Can you give me an example, like something that you, something you can get in Philadelphia that you can't get anywhere else? Crab gravy. Oh,
3: talk about it. Crab gravy. that summertime special thing. It's not just Italian American. This is a Philly.
1: Really. Thing. <laughs> I've never heard of it. I mean, it's been a part of my life my entire life.
3: And I'm from Maryland, and I don't know why we don't have
0: it. I don't understand.
3: I love that season of crap, but then a beautiful pasta and that beautiful red Mm. sauce and pulling those things together. I mean, that is a cultural and Sunday tradition.
2: Yeah. And that is,
3: it's so. Philadelphia. And then to see those kinds of dishes happening at the restaurant, the Divine Lorraine Hotel, or well, also eaten or, there yet. or also at Friday, Saturday, Sunday, he does a version of crab gravy. I did not
1: realize that, that was a Philly really, there,
3: A really yeah. Philly dish. Those Shamong, I know I keep talking about knock, those shamong We all love knock. You know, the blue pea dumplings, the pressed duck at June BYOB, mm. this quintessential French dish this incredible cocktail programs that you're seeing at places like Andreham or Post Haze.
1: I just went to Andreham last week when I saw you.
3: Not only incredible cocktails, but great food. The pasta martini that you're going to get at Fiorella.
0: What is that,
1: Justin? What's she, what's she talking about? What's she talking about? Well, Fiorella is the, <laughs> mm. well, I, I yeah, just, we got to take you on. like? We're
3: going to we're going to we're gonna take you <laughs> out. We're going <laughs> to have He's like easing me. A I really little.
0: It,
1: Wait, I just have to tell you, Jamila, she was the first person like we would talk about cheesesteaks, obviously Uh talking about seafood cheesesteaks. Okay. And I was like, What? What? Now it's come around in many years that we've done this podcast that many famous people now come on here and talk about Sister Muhammad's fish hoagie. Sister Muhammad's
3: fish hoagie has been a a staple of Philadelphia. Where are you going to get that? Like, If we put that in context with, say, Michelin stars, uh, Michelin star signals worth a trip, one Michelin star. If you put that in context, Sister Muhammad's fish hoagie, is worth a stop. So, mm-hmm. how we quantify things, how we quantify experiences, how we talk about these things—really, we have to sort of dive a little deeper into why we laud certain kinds of restaurants. It's one thing I love about this role is being able to say, "Well, Sister Muhammad's fish Hogie exists on the same plane as." a Zahav, Zahav, where you're talking about very, very special Levantine Israeli cuisine, the way Mm -hmm. that the vegetables are chopped are very Israeli. Or if you go to Laser Wolf, for example, is like spending a night in Tel Aviv. If you haven't been to Tel Aviv, or if you've been to Tel Aviv and then you go to Laserville and and you feel transported, that's what restaurants do. And there are places here that I really believe that now, when you go to some of the restaurants in Philadelphia, they transport you in a very Philadelphia way. If you're having Mm. crab gravy, if you're having a certain kind of hoagie, Tierra Colombiana, they're one of those. Tierra Colombiana or places like Cantina La Martina in Kensington, changing a complete neighborhood this is what right. restaurants do. Yes, mm-hmm. food is food and food is delicious and food is special. But if I tell you that Honeysuckle Provisions in West Philly, Omar Tate and Sybil St. Tate's very, very special restaurant slash market slash community center. It's one thing to tell you that it's fabulous. I mean, they're hoagies, they're dollar hoagie. Plus, like they make a black IP fermented sausage type thing is <laughs> <It's> a <laughs> breakfast sandwich. That is one of the most delicious things I've ever had, but it resonates more, not only because it's delicious, but it is feeding a community and it's drawing on history. And Omar has worked at some of the finest restaurants on the planet, but he's bringing those techniques and bringing them to his community and shaping them in a way that he wants to project out into the world. How many bells does that get?
1: <laughs> oh my God. You know, what's so funny is Omar was like one of our first guests moved to West Philly from New York during the pandemic and was like, I want to open a market. And we were like, okay, sounds good. i like I'm putting my food eating- on newspapers with articles that people need to, what? What are you saying? To see them have done it now and have two little kids, that place on 48th Street is going to become a big gathering. It
3: has become a mecca and it signals that in Philadelphia, especially, if you have a vision, you can make it happen. There is that sense of independence that comes from Philly. It's not lost on me that some of the best chefs in the country are here in Philadelphia. It's like everything else that starts in America. Beautiful things of America start in Philly. Philadelphia,
0: (laughs) it's true. So it is not
3: lost on me that some of these restaurants that are so special and so important are in Philly and sometimes get overlooked because it's seated between D.C. and New York. But there are places here like... Her Place Supper Club, that are really leading on how dining is changing. Yeah. And, and
1: then their other restaurant is closed on the weekend.
3: It's closed on the weekend. I mean, think about it. You go to some of the best restaurants in Paris. They're open, maybe Tuesday through Saturday. It's so civilized. They're not open on the weekend because they have families. And so My Lou is closed on the weekend because Alex and Amanda are getting married this summer. And Her Place is so... Is, <laughs> full, it's a tough reservation, but they want to have a life. And they have decided that they will work on this new model of thinking about labor differently. That's a restaurant that matters. You can't put a number of stars on wanting to treat your staff and yourself fairly and thinking about whether or not the restaurant needs to be open for service seven days a week, lunch and dinner (laughs) and brunch on Sunday it's a very different way of thinking about it. And so some of these things that we have talked about in the course of the pandemic or post-pandemic, these things are changing and they're changing in Philadelphia. Even out right outside Philly, there's a restaurant called Hearthside that is in the New York Times about its four-day service. I keep trying to, I'm not texting. I'm actually writing down everything you're saying. I just missed that
0: one. Hearthside. Hearthside.
1: That's my Michigan accent. <laughs> but I have to say, when you said hoagie, I heard a little Philadelphia in the way you said it.
3: Oh, really? Oh, thank oh, yeah. you. I will take that as a compliment. Uh, but I think that there are so many Things that are changing. And you're going to see those trends happening. The dinner party trend we wrote about a year before the New York Times did it. The tasting menus is something we saw in Philadelphia coming out of the pandemic. When you're talking about supply chain, when you're talking about being able to drill down on what you do really, really well, so many restaurants changed that model. And I know consumers nowadays are like, oh, it's another tasting, it's another tasting menu. But If you think about how Europeans eat and other parts of the world having a prefix for, you know, three courses and wine and you're out of there, it's actually helpful for the restaurant to understand exactly how many people they need to serve that night or serve that day less waste and all of these kinds of issues that a lot of restaurateurs are facing. And I think what we want to do is explain to our readers why that trend is happening and what you can expect to see more of. Now, I think in the next year, you're going to see people kind of going back to a la carte and having like mm-hmm. a, a few more choices. You're going to see less. Like meat. Laurel did. I mean, like Laurel, Laurel was did. one of those, those
1: tasting first. Tasting
3: menus, very, very special, exquisite, but I think you're going to see restaurateurs are going to start to add a few more choices. But I also mm-hmm. think you're going to see people taking things away. Well, as you see, like the democratization of caviar—it's on chips and salsa, and caviar is on everywhere. And it doesn't really add luxury; it just adds caviar. I think you're going to start to see. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, finally, that it's like if I'm bumping it off the top of my hand and eating it with my Uts potato chips, it's probably not that special anymore. So I think you're going to see less of that. You're going to see a lot more vegetables and a lot more celebration. Like we're seeing with all the beautiful corn dishes all over the city, incredible corn raviolis. I think that you're going to see a lot more expression in things that are local vegetables and things of that nature. So I'm it's so it's exciting. a really exciting time to be in food and to be watching how Philadelphia restaurants are responding to
1: ingredients and and thank you to you and your team who has just done an amazing yeah. job of telling these stories and making thank sure you. Philadelphia is out first like thank it's you. Beautiful pictures and beautiful stories and to go with knock back to her homeland. Like that was something special that doesn't happen in journalism these days. You guys are doing very special things. You're a part of this ecosystem of like making sure people know these stories. So they go to Kensington to try Mexican. And a lot of people don't believe it unless they see it in the paper. And so like, it's so good that you guys are leading on this because you're the experts too. Thank
3: you. Thank Thank you for
1: taking up space.
3: We're going to take more, we're going to take more, we're going to keep, thank you for saying that, we're going to keep taking space, we're going to keep celebrating Philadelphia, we're going to keep telling people why food matters here and we're going to keep inviting them to the table. And we want them to engage with us and tell us what's special. It's not enough for us to say we love these restaurants or come eat with me here. Or have you had this incredible gnocchi at Fiorella? What we want to do is find out what brings people joy. And we hope that we can participate in that because we want to know what makes people excited about eating in Philly as well. Can I just add one question before you go? I know that Philadelphia is your favorite
0: domestic city to eat in. What is your favorite international city?
3: Oh, Paris. That's easy. Is there a place more beautiful than Paris? I have to say I'm kind of in love with the (laughs) South of Spain right now. South of Spain is some just really incredible restaurants. And what's so exciting about Spain, especially in the South, are there so many women who are leading restaurants there. If you like food, Travel is the best way to experience it. Eating with your hands, eating with other people, the community building that happens when you are tasting things from all over the planet and the incredible inspiration. And then you see the commonality from the way everybody cooks fried chicken a different way. And the Koreans probably have a lock on it because Black soldiers taught them how to fry chicken and the man, Ooh, their fried chicken is delicious. Yeah. <laughs> You know, when you think about beautiful red shrimp that are in Spain, or just the commonality when you eat jollof, but then you go eat jambalaya, but then you go eat a similar dish in Brazil and you start to see how connected we are. Coconut, the way it expresses itself across the planet is so profound. And you realize that we're very just small parts of the ecosystem and we are part of the ecosystem and, and it brings us the opportunity to share. Food is the art form that we all participate in. And Being able to express that in so many ways is really the joy of my life. It makes it really, (laughs) I tell people all the time, I really, I have the best job at the paper (laughs) and probably just the best job writ large because I get to work with people who wanna tell stories about the way humans express themselves and there is no more human expression than feeding other people.
1: All right, Labor Day weekend's gonna be a little bit different in Philadelphia. It is, and y'all should be happy. You got some extra dollars in your pocket
0: for saving from that weekend. I know, I but that all the businesses
1: brilliant. lost that money. That's true. So
0: now let's give it back to them this weekend. Why don't we just go ahead and make this a Philly business weekend? There's there so we much go. to do.
1: There's stuff that's running out in the next couple weeks.
0: Oh yeah, it's the last of the festival season. Like, shout out to Lady B, because you know what it is. It's time for the basement party at the Dell. You can get that Labor Day weekend. That's Maybe a
1: great party. concert. Play and be with Lady B. Uh-huh. And it's the best time to get down on the river. Yeah. There's so many places open there now. They'll be transforming soon, and go get the last taste of summer down on the Delaware River.
0: Yeah, and if it's still not enough for you, you still want to spend some money on a good show, go see Aerosmith. I hear they're in town that weekend, too. Lion King, too. There you go. They always got stuff to do in Philadelphia.